0: I'm going to read you. All right, I'm going to start by reading the passage. So I'm doing um, the next part of Acts, it's chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke, The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us but he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, "'Brothers, what should we do?' Peter replied, "'Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God.'" Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So, it's a pretty impressive preach we got there from Peter. No pressure, Liz. <laughs> um, but, well first of all I just want to talk about Peter himself. I know that he's discussed quite a lot in church, but I don't think you can overstate the transformation that goes on in Peter's life. Um he starts off, you know, he has some promise, he's a bit clumsy and he's a bit overeager. And then he's he becomes part of Jesus inner circle and he witnesses nearly everything that is described in the gospels. And then of course he messes up dreadfully. And he denies Jesus. And you can tell he really disappoints his own estimation of himself. But then, of course, Jesus returns, and in a conversation with Peter by the shore, he reinforces who Peter is and he restores him to his rightful place. And then comes this preach and the rest of Acts, where Peter is a major player in the spreading of the gospel. Now, Peter's is a redemption story, and we love a redemption story. There are so many films and stories that are kind of based on that framework. You know, someone shows promise, and then they fall from grace, and then they're restored, and they fulfill their true potential. We love it. I love it. And I think this is partly because that is our story, I love it when people talk about the world and our part in it, as part of God's epic story. We were created glorious, and we fell so short of our purpose, and yet we are called back by God over and over and over again, welcomed back with open arms and restored to our rightful destiny allowed to play a part in the restoration of God's creatures and his creation. It's awesome. Now, before, um, before his death, Jesus called Peter, he renamed him Peter, which is the rock. He said that Peter was the rock he was going to build his church on. And even though Peter messed up, of course, that was still how Jesus saw him. And when Jesus came back, he made sure, he reiterated that calling on Peter's life. And Peter ran with it. This preach alone led to the church being built up by 3,000 new believers. So I think that's pretty clear proof that Jesus was right about Peter. Now, I go to a women's conference once a year in Llanelli. And it really blesses me, it always really blesses me. And one idea that I was introduced to there is the idea that God has a name for everyone, and, you know, because the Bible is full of it. God does this a lot. Jesus does it. He gives people a new name, which reveals a bit about His plans for their life, His purposes for them. And at this conference, the women who lead it—they're pretty wild—and they, but they're all really familiar with the name that God has given them. They don't tell you what it is, but they know the name that God has given them. And they encourage us to all ask God what his name for us was. Uh, I don't know how much you practice listening prayer and how comfortable you feel with it, but I would really, really recommend doing this. Um, I prayed about it and God gave me a name and it's so inspiring. Uh, It means that whenever I feel down or unworthy or confused about my part in God's plan, if I just think about that name that he's given me, then I am so encouraged. So, um, yeah, so I say remember Peter. He's got some great lessons to teach us, but I think it's more important, actually, that we remember our part in the redemption story. The Bible I find it quite good it's like a, um, a Bible we're doing with the kids at the moment. It's really good. It links everything back to Jesus. And one of the things it says in the introduction is that the, some people think that the Bible is a book of a story of heroes. And it does have some heroes in it. But that's not what the Bible is. It's more practical than that. It helps us to understand our part in all of this too. I've been thinking about this a bit recently, that if we're not careful, we can spend a lot of time talking about what other people have done or are now doing. You know, whether it's characters in the Bible or reformers or revivalists or just well-known contemporary believers. And when we talk about them, I know I do this sometimes, it's like we have a bit of pride in what they've achieved and what they've done. But it kind of reminds me a bit of when I was growing up. If you know me at all, you probably know that I really love my dad. I really respect my dad. And I know that when I was growing up, I would talk about what my dad would do, you know, what he'd spend his money on and what decisions he'd make and like his moral compass. And I had an element of pride in that. But I realized as I was growing up that actually it wasn't really enough for me to talk about what my dad was doing anymore. I needed to be doing those things too. And I think that is true of us as Christians. I know that I don't want to be someone who talks about what other people are doing for God and with God. I want to be someone who is doing those things. Now, if you want some practical pointers from the Bible of what our Christian lives can be like, then this quote that Peter reads from uh, Joel it was very interesting reading. I'll read it out again. It's uh, verses 17 to 21. In the last days, God says, "I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy." And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we all know that last bit particularly. Um, It's pretty good, isn't it? It's uh, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Praise be to God. But there is a whole lot more to being saved than just knowing where you go when you die. It is great to know that. I can't imagine the alternative, but there is so much more on offer. This quote starts with, in the last days, and it is pretty, pretty uh, widely accepted that the last days refer to the time between Jesus and... And dying and being raised back to life again and ascended back into heaven, and his second coming on the great and glorious day of the Lord. So that means that we are in the last days. God has poured out his Spirit upon us. There's nothing sparing in Jesus' approach to this. If you think about it, pouring is an extravagant action. He's not giving us little drips. He's really generous with his portions. And this blessing is for all. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your social class. And that's partly been demonstrated already earlier on in Acts, in the first chapter, when the Spirit comes, and they're in that upper room, and there are women in that room, and they receive the Holy Spirit too. Gone are the days when God's spirit was given to a select few. This is for everyone. Now I'm saying this, and the Bible says this, Old and New Testament says this, um, but of course there are a lot of people who aren't really feeling this. And in a, because of that, there are a lot of people who explain acts away as special things happening at a special time um, but I, I don't believe that. In verse 39, Peter says, This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away. And he's talking about the spirit coming on new believers. Now, this far away is used in the Bible quite a lot. And it's used to describe either physical distance, far as in far away in distance, and far as in length of time. And it might well be that Peter had only the Jews in mind. you know. He might have been thinking of the Jews who were there that day and the Jews who were already dispersed across the world and maybe their children. But God shows later on in Acts that his plans are much, much bigger than that. So I believe that in this verse, God had in mind the Jews, the diaspora, the Gentiles, and even me and you. I do think that there is a, a problem in the church um, in that you often get the confident people up the front, like me. You often get people who have quite tangible experiences of God talking about them from the front. And that's good. I, I feel that God asked me to speak. But I think sometimes it can make the people who are maybe more reserved, or people who don't feel God in that way, it can make them feel inadequate. But I really don't think that's right. Everyone in the church, every single believer, has the Holy Spirit living in them. And I think we just need to be careful, not to confuse feelings with spiritual fact. I know people who don't really experience God the way I do at all. Um, I know loads of people like that. But there's some of them, they speak with so much wisdom, there is no way they could do that without God. And I know other people who wouldn't talk about God the way I do, and yet they live such servant-hearted lives that there is no way they could do that without God. I can't explain how the Holy Spirit works in everyone because I've seen it in so many different people. And he's so different. But he has lots of different jobs to do. So if we were all like me, it would be a bit rubbish, wouldn't it? It would be a lot too much talking. Hmm. So I would encourage those who maybe don't talk from the front very often, um, that actually we need to hear, hear your stories too that everyone has stories, and they look different, but they are just as important, if not more. Um, And, yeah, you are part of the building blocks of the church. Um, And I know that, I'm often brought back to this verse in the Bible, um, that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And it always encourages me that we are on a journey, that we are different from what we were yesterday, and that it's not a competition, and it's not, um, oh, well, I was really wrong before, or that person's not as far along as me, or I'm not as far as long as that person. We all have a, de- a degree of glory in us, and we are just getting closer and closer. And, you know, the Bible does talk about the end is better than the beginning, The best is yet to come. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a while ago, I was reading some Watchman Nee, and um, he gives this really interesting description about how, like explanation for the relationship between spiritual truths and our experience of them. And I found this really helpful in the past, so I wanted to just read it out. Um, He writes, it's in the normal Christian faith. He writes this. One year I was in Shefu. A brother told me, I have believed in the Son of God to be my life, but I do not have a glorious sensation about it. Have I really received him? I told him a parable. Three men are walking on a narrow wall. The one walking at the front Represents the fact of, Christians being, um, of Christ's being our life. So that's the fact. The one in between signifies our faith. It follows God's accomplished facts. The last person represents our feeling of glory. This comes after a man has believed. It is the last of the three items. When the three walk on the wall... The person in between, faith, can only look forward. Our faith comes into being when we steadfastly look at God's accomplished work. God has already given us his son to be our life. When we see this fact, we have faith. The second always follows the first. After faith comes the sense of glory. All that the third man can see is the second one, faith. Whereas if the second, faith, tries to turn around and look at the third, which is the feeling of glory, he will immediately fall off the wall. A faith that is not fixed on facts is a shaking faith. The minute the second man falls, the third has but to follow. All feelings of glory will then be lost. Therefore, do not look back to search for the glorious sensation. Simply follow the facts. God has accomplished everything in Christ. He died and was resurrected, and he has been transformed, and he has sent the Holy Spirit. He is now ready to come into you. All you need to do is believe. If God has not done all these works, then even if you feel radiant and glowing, It means nothing at all. So what he's saying is not to be distracted by our feelings, by our experiences, but to keep looking at the truth, keep following the truth, and faith and experience or feelings will follow. I would just like to mention... Uh, one of the other things that's described in that passage from Joel in verses 19 and 20 it describes um, wonders in heaven and signs on earth and there's been a, a lot of debate probably in every single generation about whether those signs are happening now and whether the day of the Lord is fast approaching now I can't pretend to know lots about this, there's people who know a lot more about this than me But what I do know is that when I pray about current events, God shows me that it is not about whose side he is on. It is about who is on his side. He shows no partiality. I truly believe that he would take everyone with him if he could. And I've just had this sense about us all needing to come together under his banner And his banner over us is love. Finally, the last thing that got me thinking in this passage is verse 40, where it says that Peter urged the listeners to save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, of course, he was talking to the people at the time and some of them are witnesses of what happened to Jesus. Maybe some of them were even supporters of what happened to Jesus. Um, But I've definitely struggled with people using this verse in the past for our generation, Um, and actually people have applied it to pretty much every generation, I think. But I've been thinking recently about how far away the world is from God's perfection. Uh, We're doing, me and Richard Stephen, we're doing an alpha course in the castle at the moment with the students. There are a couple of them coming along, and they're really lovely girls, the ones who are coming and we were doing the session on sin the other day. Um, and I was just thinking about how most people would like to think that they never lie. But then I was thinking about how, how many people could actually say that they've never manipulated or adjusted the truth. But the fact that God's truth never changes. You know, he doesn't cast a shifting shadow. Nothing changes about God. His truth remains steadfast. I was thinking about how many of these adjustments to the truth that just end up spiraling out of control, and one leads on to another. You know, the the ripple effect of sin is massive. When we were at the castle, we were talking about... um, well, they're from Canada, so we're talking about Native Canadians, but we're talking about the Native Americans too, and the fact that um, that some settlers in America tr- at least tried to intentionally... Um, what was the word? Uh, to infect the bl- their blankets with smallpox and give it to the Native Americans. And you just think about all the distrust that is still there so many so many years after and the sorry the lack of respect for their rights that still remains today and i think about africa and i think about africa a lot um, um sorry just the fact that we stole their royalty you know it was it was princes that were stolen it was everyone but it was princes it was their royalty and then we made them our slaves and much of our wealth as a country was built on their backs and then their countries are in such a mess still because of it because of what other nations did and yeah I just uh, at the moment I just seem to keep seeing the stuff that's wrong you know, And I think, yeah, the world is crooked. Everywhere you look. The repercussions of stuff that happened generations ago, it still hurts people today. But God is not crooked. And he is our hope. And what a hope he is. I love that he doesn't hate the sinner. He only hates the sin. He hates what it does to us, and he hates what it's done to his creation. But he also provides the answer. He provided the answer in himself. And he still does every time. The answer is to call on his name, no matter what we've done. Thank God, even those people who gave those infected blankets, even they, can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And I was thinking, it's it's about calling on His name. It's about allowing Him to rename us and reshape us into His image once again. I just finish the prayer. Thank you, God, that our hope is in you. There's so much around us that is crooked, and yet you still see your creation. You still see the people that you've made, and you're still trying to call us back to you. And all through the the Bible, that's what you've been doing. Thank you so much for your mercy. And I thank you that you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that it's not about how we feel, but it's about you. It's not about our faith. It's about who our faith is in. And you are more than enough, Lord. thank you for how much you bless us and help us to be a blessing to you and to others around us, Lord. Amen.